0: Hey, this is Dr. Mike Crivetti, Crivetti Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Welcome to podcast number 19. Can't believe it's 19. So many great things we've been talking about over the last couple of years. So today should be no different. And I love when we have a new person in the practice because it brings a whole new energy. And in this case, a whole new specialty, not just to our practice, but it brings it to the entire city of Las Vegas. So everybody meet Rich Michelin. Doc, sorry, Dr. Rich Michelin. Say hi, Rich.
1: Hey, guys. I'm Dr. Rich Michelin. Nice to meet everybody. I'm honored to be here on the podcast.
0: Yes. No, not just as much as you are honored to Absolutely. be here into practicing in Vegas because Rich wanted to come back to town, and he made it. So the way we normally do this, Rich, is you're going to tell us just a little bit about where you grew up, where you trained, and I'll poke at you all the way. So start with, uh, we don't have to start with birth, but we can start (laughs) with where you grew up. Sure. Uh, I was born and raised here in Las Vegas. Um,
1: Grew up here all the way through high school, and then went to California for my undergraduate at California Lutheran University. Uh, played baseball there, uh, got a bachelor's of science in exercise science and sports medicine. Uh, then I went on to medical school in Arizona at the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine, followed by a residency in Riverside, California uh, at Riverside University Health System, and then finished my fellowship at uh, Cedars-Sinai, and job uh, training in shoulder and elbow uh, reconstruction surgery.
0: Now, when you were at Riverside, you did a ton of trauma, right? Yeah. I and mean, that makes it kind of a new, kind of another twist on the the complex surgery you do today.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We were uh, a level one trauma facility, um, served the actually greatest... Uh, county, region in all of California that even included, I think some of uh, Arizona, we'd have a lot of stuff helicoptered in from uh, more rural areas of Arizona. And so we did a lot of a lot of trauma, it didn't matter what rotation or service I
0: was on, the end of the day always ended with trauma cases. Now you have to understand this, everybody, Trauma level one trauma centers, that's where the bad stuff happens. That's where you walk in, you watch the TV shows and everybody's running and yelling and somebody comes in on helicopters that's a level one trauma center. So when he was spending his day, uh, maybe he was doing a little foot and ankle surgery on one of his services. At the end of his day, his butt went to the ER because they were going to get ready to operate all night. So level one trauma centers are no joke. He brings that skill to town. Uh, we have uh, University Medical Center, UMC here. A lot of our trauma goes, but we're starting to trickle it out into the uh, suburban or the more peripheral hospitals where level two centers, level three centers, where you see a lot of that stuff that we now can take care of. But this is where we really want to talk about because he brought shoulder and elbow reconstruction. Now, you might think, okay, what's that, right? In fact, there's really not many people in town that do reconstruction of the shoulder, let alone reconstruction of the elbow, despite doing a lot of shoulder and elbow surgery. So, Rich, tell us the difference between reconstructive and elbow surgeon and people who do shoulder and elbow surgery because this is what really got me excited about rich coming to the practice
1: sure absolutely well i I think probably one of the biggest things when you talk about shoulder elbow reconstruction is really the tremendous growth of uh, shoulder arthroplasty so really since 2007 Uh, when the reverse shoulder arthroplasty came here from Europe, there's been kind of an explosion uh, both in technology and also outcomes for patients with shoulder arthroplasty. So it's really grown as a field since that time. Um, And I would say that's really the main part of what my fellowship was about was shoulder arthroplasty, um, revision shoulder arthroplasty, but also including arthroscopy and basically all source fracture care for both the shoulder uh, and the elbow. Um, You know, most people, don't get quite as high volume as necessarily I did in in fellowship. You know, we did over 200 replacements in fellowship, uh, close to 200 uh, shoulder arthroscopies, um, and then uh, quite a few uh, all-encompassing fracture care. So it's really about the volume and the experience, the tips and tricks that you kind of learn when you see that type of volume um, that really kind of makes me fit to be able to see and handle
0: anything shoulder elbow-wise. Now, when he talks about arthroplasty, he's talking about replacement surgery Mm -hmm. and this reverse arthroplasty, which is really cool because people tear their rotator cuffs and they have these traumatic injuries to the shoulder. And and honest to John, sometimes people can't lift their arms. They can't reach behind uh, their backs. They can't put a shirt on. And some of the stuff that Rich did uh, over at Curlin Joe really gives people the opportunity. When you think there's nothing left... To do gives them an opportunity to use that arm, and believe it or not, get their strength back. You know, they're not pitching for the Phillies, but they're getting that that strength back in it to do the things that they do every day. So, pretty special uh, when you realize that we just don't have a lot of that here in. He brings that really unique specialty. So. What do you think the landscape looks like over the next year or two? Because we're going to build that replacement business. What are some of the things you think are going to be exciting in shoulder replacement?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think um, the shoulder took a while to catch up, really, to the hip and knee. For sure. Um, And so, obviously, hip and knee replacements have uh, been around for a while and have done really well for a while, and shoulder is finally starting to catch up. Um, I think that... A lot of people who also have hip and knee arthritis have shoulder arthritis and there's a lot of good new solutions for them uh, going forward. The technology literally changes every year. It changed changed even while I was in fellowship, um, as far as improvements and longevity of implants um, and improving range of motion and outcomes post-operatively. And just to kind of piggyback, one other thing I would say that I think is important is because of the experience I've had and the volume I've seen in shoulder and elbow, I also know when not to operate. Um, And I think that that is, really important. Um, when some of this new technology comes out, sometimes it gets um, kind of gobbled up in the community and a lot of people start using this new technology, but they may not necessarily knew, know the proper indications to use it. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things I got from fellowship is I, I, I being good at predicting who will do well with shoulder replacements, who won't, and who will do well with even shoulder arthroscopy or fixing a fracture or treating it non-operatively. I think all that's very important too.
0: Yeah, it's it's amazing that the way we build our practices is really the conservative side and not operating and sometimes you can ask yourself well I've seen that patient 3 times and why aren't we fixing them and because they're not ready to be fixed so the indications aren't there such as a younger patient who has shoulder pain why not just replace them let's get on with it that's not always the answer so I agree my fellowship in in, uh, hip and knee surgery now mind you I'm a few years 25 uh, (laughs) older than you are but back then you know you would think everybody that walked in the office with bone-on-bone arthritis got a new knee or got a new hip they got it when they were ready and that's how the practice uh, built over time so I've encouraged him uh, starting out be conservative those patients Will keep coming back. They'll they'll keep getting better until they ask you, "Hey, what can we really do about this?" I think the thing I'm most excited about, though, because those patients are going to be great because you're basically an expert in it, right? But this surgery, this reverse surgery for these post. Traumatic. Somebody falls, breaks their shoulder. I mean, you see that. It seems like every weekend. Now, we don't live where there's ice, thank goodness. But we see it all the time where people slip and they, they fracture their shoulder. It heals, but it heals kind of funky, let's call it. Not right in the spot, the function, the pain continues. And you go in and you do this reverse shoulder to give them their lives back. I mean, this really, like I love doing hip surgery because let me tell you, it gives lives back. This gives life back. So tell me about the, the and everybody listening about the reverse shoulder because I think it's just cool.
1: Absolutely, and and you know for sure uh, coming up through your training, proximal humerus fractures. The the old kind of teaching is that they're really they they do well non-operatively. So no one operated on them. It's a tough operation to do. Uh, they don't have great outcomes fixing them Um, but now we do have the reverse shoulder replacement uh, to do a replacement Uh, a lot of patients still do well conservatively but there are certain more high level or high functioning active patients who may do better with a reverse replacement Uh, what it essentially is is uh, basically reversing the ball and socket the shoulder is a ball and socket joint and we actually put the ball on the socket and then we put the socket on the ball um, the ball side is what's usually fractured in the scenario, um, so it actually makes it not too difficult to to replace it with the socket. And it becomes I thought it was cr- just
0: called reverse <laughs> versus the problem, but <laughs> both. <laughs> i I'm explainingly. No, I'm teasing. Yeah, you're you're right, but bulk. think about that. But the ball in the socket. The socket. Everybody's going, uh, who, who's this, this crazy person? But when you put the and even for me, right? Because obviously it wasn't around when I started watching it develop over these last several years, and you literally can't put your fork in your mouth, and then next thing you know, you got your arm above your head uh, in a shower, I mean, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable, and yeah. it it, I mean, the rehab, everything.
1: Uh, absolutely, and I, I think, uh, you know, we, we would non-hop these patients a lot of the time, and uh, you know, four, six weeks, eight weeks out, they're still having a lot of pain. They can't get to their head. Um, and now with this, I, I think that they can recover a little, uh, a little bit quicker. And again, a lot can still be treated conservatively, but it's a great option for the right fracture. And uh, I think that that's also part of the expertise of, of when to use it, when not to use it
0: yep and I think it's just going to be fantastic for town, fantastic for the people who live here, obviously, just keep everybody you know get more our saying all the time, get you back in your game, get your life back. Uh, all those things are going to keep coming true with this Let's talk about who you are though, because uh, like yourself, you married up. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. And all of us uh, have outplayed our coverage in this practice and married amazing wives and husbands. So uh, it's obviously a big joke be- between the guys uh, about how wonderful and beautiful our wives are. Um, but I'll tell you, yeah, and Holly's amazing and she's really into social media. So, what do you guys like to do together? Like, what's your cool thing that y'all do? Well, and don't say pickleball at my house because we haven't quite gotten <laughs> to that point yet.
1: Well, uh, I'll say right now we, we have our hands pretty full with with a three-year-old and then uh we have one on the way uh who's supposed to be due on uh on thanksgiving day another boy um so we have our hands pretty pretty full with that but we we may not be playing pickleball at your house but we go to the lifetime gym and we 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 do play pickleball uh pickleball quite a bit but the big thing is really uh playing baseball and uh and football with my son is uh, the moment i get home that's pretty much what uh what my job is, I, I don't. I don't really have a second to uh, to rest. Uh, but it's it's good. I, I
0: I really enjoy it. Did you ever think your three-year-old could say dad that much in a matter of that short a period of time? No. If
1: you ask me, at uh, six months after he was born, I would say no, I couldn't picture it. But now it's pretty cool because uh, we can. You know, play catch, and I—I I didn't really know a three-year-old could play catch. He's definitely a lot more advanced than I was. But we can play catch, and—and um,
0: and he'll do it for two hours. Well, uh, I got bad news for you. Yeah, my son's almost twenty-five, and he still says "dad, dad, <laughs> dad." So that never changes. It but never it makes, changes. It makes it just as special. And now I'm going to have a double in, a, in about a month. So no, but it's good. It's, in it's stereo, you have dad in stereo. Yeah. Well, let's have you to practice. Super excited that you're here, and thanks for, for joining us for our podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.